Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You decide to allow this to happen. You accuse us of willful procrastination. I see his point, but on the other hand, uh, there is one secret our ancestors kept for themselves. What's that? Nobody knows how to pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? Senseless creatures. I don't think so. They're adapting very fast. That's intelligent behavior. The momentum. Yes. I think we're about to become a battering ram. Here come the drums. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, the most wonderfully random quest on your podcast dial to watch every single story of Doctor Who in totally random order. My name's Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal, and we, Chris and I, we are both writers, fans, journalists. And have been doing this podcast for a while now. Oh my goodness. You might say we've been on a bit of an arc. uh, We've we've been on the arc of infinity and we've come full circle. It's come back around somehow. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we've we've been doing this uh, Doctor Who fun random journey for a while. uh, And we always have lots to say about the show. And Chris, what have we been saying lately? Well, you know what, lately, I, I just like to to bring it back to the fact that I have gone full circle, quite literally, as I mentioned to you. Uh, we've been look, listening to some of our old episodes. I was just listening to Planet of Fire, the very beginning of this quest. This That was right after we installed the randomizer in this podcast. That's right. It was January 2021, I believe. Uh, we, wow. This show has been going random on its random quest for as long as Joe Biden has been in the White House. It's <laughs> astonishing to think that way. And okay. Might, might, feels, that might be a good <laughs> milestone for half like of our listeners. For as long as Joe Biden has been alive, um, it's been hmm. 84 years. Um, but no, so and, we started. And full of heartbeats to a Time Lord. <laughs> full of heartbeats. We started a Planet of Fire. Uh, we uh, have returned again and again to the Davison era. We did that recently. But previously on Pull to Open, three stories ago, we were at one of the most recent Doctor Whos, The Legend of the Sea Devils, which is now officially and always in the codex of Pull to Open, a Lady Cassandra. Very pretty, mm. but not at least a half a Lady Cassandra. Very pretty, paper thin plot. Two stories Lady Cassandra, ago. of course, our latest rating. That yes. we've added to our rating system. Yes, yes. You're not familiar, our trademarked also. rating system, by the way. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa there. <laughs> Trademarking. That's crazy. Well, I'm, I'm, 
I'm uh, extrapolating from, uh, you know, reading into the future here, <laughs> looking at my time space visualizer. Oh, well, I, I'm glad you've got an image translator there. So, uh, as you know, Pete, two stories ago, we rocketed backwards from the Jody era to the Capaldi era to visit a Viscount banger called Flatline. Mm-hmm. And from Flatline, we went from Peter to Peter, a, a oft-established arc in the pull-to-open random journey. Uh, and we went from a flat line to an arc, an arc of infinity. And we bounced off the arc of infinity, uh, not really understanding or remembering what just happened to us. And we seem to have entered e-space, Pete. We're in e-space. We're in negative pull-to-open territory. Right. Uh, that's right. We're back. We're back where we once were. We, we we've been here for State of Decay. We actually did the E Space trilogy in filming order. Uh, <laughs> not <laughs> very true. random at all. We did the but second Chris, one first. Podcast space doesn't have negative coordinates. <laughs> oh, I think you'll see that's Gallifrey outside your window, sir. Uh, anyway, oh. it it is appropriate because State of Decay begat. Uh, one of our first new rating, the first new rating of the show, which was the Viscount Banger, uh, who right. uh, is the father of one of the inhabitants, of, or one-time inhabitants of eSpace. We should note mm-hmm. that Romana did finally leave. Yeah. Um, she, had, she had an extended stay, though. The show. She yeah. did. Uh, anyway, sorry, spoilers for those of you wondering how Romana's story ends. Um, but yeah, here we are at the beginning of the eSpace trilogy. We have entered through the CVE. I that's believe correct. that's the, the only way to get into eSpace. And, and um, if, e's- if you can't just paint your starfield green behind you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Could we, could we put a lovely uh, green filter for the folks on YouTube? Um, oh, wow. This podcast? I think, yes. Just that all go. of our eSpace episodes should have green filters. Wonderful. Um, Oh man! But anyway, <laughs> here we are. We have the, come the full nauseating circle. episodes of Pultopen. <laughs> we uh, come full circle to full circle. And can I just say one, one, one fabulous piece of trivia about full circles? One of the few episodes of Doctor Who to actually say the title. Yeah, I suppose yes. that's true. I don't think Sylvester McCoy at any point just turns to the camera and says, "This is like a." remembrance of the Daleks. Yes. <laughs> this is a curse of Fenric. Um, my, yeah, oh my. yeah, it doesn't happen. What Time are we going to man do here? Ronnie waits for no man, you know, like, no, <laughs> never happens. Yeah, yeah, you really want to insert that the Ron Howard bit from Arrested Development where he says, hey, that's the name of the show. Uh, <laughs> when, when the doctor says, looks like we've come full circle, because it, it is Tom Baker saying that in his most serious Tom Baker voice. Yep. We are um, talking about, of course, yes. uh, season 18. It's the third serial. It's full circle, third serial in bo- broadcast order. And hey, guys, if you're just here for our commentary on full circle, you can, of course, check the show notes or the notes in the YouTube video, and you can find the exact time code where that commentary begins. But actually, you're probably not going to want to do that because you will miss mm-hmm. out, folks. You're going to miss out on the Humoji Challenge where we talk about Doctor Who titles in the form of an emoji, or rather torture Chris by trying to quiz him on a particular uh, emoji title and get him to guess it. So that's good times. We have some results from one of our recent Spotify polls on poll to open. 
And of course, we got a, a TikTok comment of the week. So uh, stick hey. around for that as we enter the pull to open Pulse Loop. Fetch it, Thalia. Pulse Loop. Yeah. It's time to refresh, everyone. It's time to reboot since we've come full circle. Whoa. The feedback loop. Uh, step aside for the pulse loop. And I, can... I'm, wow, I'm just finding this out live. <laughs> just just looking at the doc. It's, it's wow. Things are Ins- happening here on Pull to Open. It's crazy. Oh, my goodness. Oh it my is God. inspired by our last <laughs> podcast on Arc of Infinity. We're in the pulse loop. Good times. I, I noticed so many of these titles have uh, Davison connotations, like our four questions to Doomsday that always end the show. Uh, by <laughs> just, the way, folks, if, you're, if you've been watching or listening to this podcast and you haven't been getting all the way to the four questions of Doomsday, you've been missing out. That's some of the best parts of the show. Uh, perhaps we should put that in the show notes as well. We finally <laughs> actually start to wrap things up. Um, Anyway, here we are well, in the just, pulse loop. Just wait until we bring in our special guest, the Ergon, for <laughs> advanced commentary on oh every episode. God. What's our uh, Ergon rating? I pulled to open live from Amsterdam. I'm ready. Yeah. So anyway, guys, here in the pulse loop, of course, we would love to ask you to show your support for pull to open. And that is, of course, in the form of a review in the very podcast app you are using. Uh, Apple Podcasts especially is a great place to leave a review. And those reviews, especially five-star reviews, will help make the show visible to more listeners eager for our great discussion and just great discussion of Doctor Who. So really, the only way, the only way to show stronger support for this podcast, of course, is to share it with a friend. Surely you, Doctor Who fan listening, know another Doctor Who fan who's not listening. So go ahead and open up your messages app, your WhatsApp, whatever it is copy the link to this podcast and shoot it over and say, Hey, check this out. That's and right. You might actually want to include some text there that clearly identifies who you are. Cause that actually, now that I think about it, sounds a bit like a spam text. So <laughs> go ahead and make sure they oh. know it's the real you. Surely if, if you're listening and you are a Dr. Who fan, just yes, to put your name at the end of, of that text. Uh, but Hey, you know, these friends haven't heard from you in a while. They're, they're going to appreciate you reaching out with this. Um, so yeah, so we, Pete mentioned we have a bunch of fun things here in the Pulse Loop. We have barrel organs, and we have something called the Humoji Challenge, where some poor sod gets tested on his knowledge of both Emoji and the Doctor Who canon. Uh, can't wait to see this. Who's yeah. in the uh, hot seat this week? Why, as as in every other week, <laughs> is one Christopher Taylor. Oh my goodness. Ready. Are oh you ready, sir, for the Humoji challenge? I'm ready with negative coordinates. Um, yeah, let's, I'll, I'll approach this from, from eSpace. Sweet. So as of with every episode of the Humoji challenge, I quiz Chris by giving Doctor Who, sorry, I give him a set of emojis and he has to guess the Doctor Who show title. Hey, wait, that, how about you tell me the title and I put, I put it in emojis. That sounds like a better We game. could try that. That's not bad. That's like uh, the emoji reverse challenge. Yes, <laughs> that's definitely negative coordinates. Yeah, we should uh, do that's that. That's the bizarro challenge. Yeah, 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 exactly. Fortunately, we're still in end space until we begin that commentary. So we're going to have to do it the right way, the normal way. Um, so here we go. Two emojis. First emoji. Uh, it's it's the family emoji. Two kids, two two uh, mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And the second emoji is a red droplet. 
Oh my goodness. This is the second week where I got it with the with the opening. It's Family of Blood. Right? It is the Family of Blood. Whoa. You are correct, sir. Wow. I I you waited so long I almost had to open a pocket watch to remember who I was. What I'm trying to do here is lull you into a false sense of security with these easy ones so that <laughs> we just really hit you with something like a brain teaser. <sighs> I mean, Keys and Marinus is not necessarily uh, the first Doctor Who title that jumps to mind, so I'm, I'm glad I got that last week. Yeah, that one, that was pretty, I was pretty impressed. I think the yeah. Keys kind of give it away in hindsight, but keys it's all good. Keys give it away, and I guess there's only one family in in all of Doctor Who titles. Uh, is it? You're probably right. Let's come to yeah. think of it. For a family-friendly show, there's rarely yeah. put a family yeah, we, in the title. We've yet to have Family of the Daleks, um, but I really <laughs> can't wait for that. That story. Yeah, who would you have? You I guess you have uh, obviously you have Davros. Uh, you arguably have the Doctor. Come to think of it. Oh yeah, it's kind of an honorary member of the family. The, uh, speaking of honorary members of the family, this this might be the perfect time to issue a correction and addendum to uh, the short trip that we did last time. Uh, when we mm-hmm. we talked about uh, the uh, the actors to play the Doctor, mm-hmm. I am yep. correct in saying that we are <laughs> recording these in the right order, and that was last time. Yes, Pete. <laughs> yeah, I think you're correct. Yes. Sir. Okay, we're not doing an e-space thing here. Hello. All right, uh, we we listed all the actors, including Peter Cushing, to have mm-hmm. technically played the Doctor on screen in a dramatic role. That was our criteria. We neglected to think about power of the Doctor, and the moments in that in which Sasha Dewan's master is technically the Doctor. Yes. Technically, yes. You're correct. He, he counts as an actor who played the Doctor. We, I don't think that changes our top five rankings. Sorry, Sasha. Uh, mm. Love you in the great. Uh, love you as a master, personally. I think Pete's a little cooler on you, but um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, just, we just wanted to make sure that that was a full list, because we know a, a lot of nerds out there will need to update their spreadsheets, so go ahead and do that. That's right. That's right. And I'm not. I'm not. Maybe cooler than you, but I, I do like his uh, his performance as the master. It's it's definitely different and uh, a little little Joker esque, which is okay. Mm. Um, hey, man's allowed to experiment. Man's allowed to experiment. Yep. All right. Meanwhile. All right. Spotify. Moving on. Oh, by the way, that Humoji challenge came us from uh, Bob Gilby, who submitted a whole bunch on Twitter. Thank you, Bob. Uh, longtime fan of the pod. Really appreciate it. And we'll get to some more in future weeks. And if you would like to submit a Humoji challenge, uh, feel free to go ahead and drop us a line anywhere. You can find us on social media. We're at poll to open 63 on most of the services, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Threads as well as pull to open on TikTok or just comment on our YouTube video. That's fine. And we'll, uh, we'll grab it wherever you leave it and we'll enter it into the system and right. we and can continue yeah. to torture either Chris, a guest, or maybe someday when we are really fully in East space, it'll things will reverse themselves and I might be on the other end of this. Oh, but until be- then, until then, Spotify listeners, and I'm talking to you now, Spotify listeners. You know what, Pete? We'll just interrupt you there. I think we're going to do that at the 150 point. We'll just switch it. and we'll The 150 point? It. Oh, because yeah, that's like halfway through the codex. Halfway through the codex. Yes. Yeah. Then got you. the worm shall turn. All right, that's when, that's when the... Going. 
what is it the the polarity of the neutron of the flow. earth flips not just the <laughs> neutron flow it's yes. like the south pole and the north pole yes flip Legend and they the sea devils ask a continual uh plot and various mm-hmm. things I th- i'm sure they did that in the novels at least once indeed um anyway over on spotify it's yeah. time to look at polls open it's time uh, for poll to open by the way if you're listening on spotify feel free to rate the show you can do that you can rate poll to open uh with a star rating uh but you can also go into the poll feature and give your rating that is your poll to open rating for whatever story we are talking about in any particular week and we have polls on most of our recent podcasts and you can go in and keep these polls open for however long this is going on so you can if you think you missed your chance to vote in the polls you haven't go ahead go on back and uh, check it out and certainly at the end of the show here when we're done talking about full circle do that we'll remind you at the end of the show uh and we have some results keep keep tapping away on those past shows and just just rate them don't you don't even have to listen to just just vote 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 <laughs> although we encourage you to listen to them we as well that would be good listen, but if you're just like going to prejudge every story like oh i know what i would vote for legend of the sea devils go do that <laughs> i've seen the um, dvd cover come on man that's all you need so, to know <laughs> yeah you know what judge a book by its cover we don't care judge do judge it. a story by its target novelization um, judge a marshman by its outfit by its right. rubber suit uh, so we have judgment that has come in on flatline and yep. the people, the people of Pole to Open Topia have spoken, and they <laughs> have agreed with us. A plurality, at least, have yeah. agreed with us. Thirty-three percent, and that's all we need, Pete, to squeak into office for another term. Uh, so we, thirty-three percent, said that Flatline was low-key a Viscount banger. Booyah! Yes. and honestly, this is the most like neat distribution of votes i have to say right for any of the episodes we've done so viscount banger was the clear leader with roughly 33 percent, but also neck number two pulling in at number two is the dalek which with about uh six percent less around 27 percent then the professor hater lose elections explain (laughs) sorry professor hater was in number three with 17 percent Yep. So the third-party spoiler candidate, uh, Ogron, also kind of a spoiler. Uh, sorry, 17% for 13% for the Ogron. And 10% said fixed point in time. Right. They, they yeah. couldn't raise this... it, perhaps, because it was so nostalgic. Yeah, I guess it's funny, because like Capaldi is was selected as the Doctor almost exactly three years to the day that we're oh. recording this podcast, which is kind of one of those... Oh, really? Wow, that was 10 years ago. 10 uh, years A decade. Day he was cast and then flatline is about from nine years ago so like nostalgia not unrealistic here even for the capaldi era right i think millie gibson might have voted in this poll and gave it a fixed point (laughs) in time (laughs) oh my goodness remember when the doctor was that old Mm. seems like light years ago rating system obviously predates our lady cassandra rating so Mm -hmm. i would imagine i'm imagining a sixth line here went about five percent cassandra could have could have spoiled the vote enough perhaps take it away mm-hmm. from the viscount banger who knows uh by the way i mean you, you you could probably tell even if you're not a regular listener that, that pete was not a fan of the lady cassandra rating but was overruled by hashtag democracy um <laughs> but it wasn't it interesting the, you, your argument was basically dude it's all ogrons you know just just call it an ogron 
right? And isn't it, isn't it interesting that at the end of last week, we didn't remark on this, but I was the one who used the Ogron rating. You were the one, sir, who used the Professor Hater, the first offshoot of the Ogron. Hmm, well, I've, I've warmed to the hater. And anyway, Chris, you talk of democracy, freedom, fairness. I yes. mean, those are the creeds of cowards. Those <laughs> would listen to a thousand viewpoints and try to satisfy them all. Okay? Achievement wow. Wow. comes through Viscount Bangers. <laughs> wait, what, and what, through what, what the Viscount Banger, I shall have that. Pa- okay, wait a minute. Wait, I got a little confused there. But that's my view. <laughs> what, what, what is that from? Sir, sir, come now, come now. I'm going to send you our podcast on Genesis of the Daleks. And That's what I we thought. Come back around. That's what I thought. I didn't want to. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We have much to say uh, on Genesis of the Daleks. You know where you should check out our podcast on Genesis of the Daleks? YouTube. It's on you YouTube. Absolutely should. It is. And so it's should right everyone. Now. You know what? Go ahead and check out all our podcasts on YouTube because they're all there. The entire catalog of Pull to Open commentaries are there at youtube.com slash pull to open. Again, great place to leave an emoji title or just a comment. We love to converse with folks on all the platforms and we've had some great comments on YouTube. Uh, You can see Easter eggs in the background. You can see I've finally pulled out my Tom Baker uh, poster that yes. uh, I know it's City of Death, but it's around the same era, and uh, it's the only one I have with Baker right now. So, oh, look at you! We you got- are yes, we are in one of the uh, Tom Baker stories where my scarf is appropriate. That's right, folks. Uh, it is. It is that final season Tom Baker scarf. Uh, yeah, the burgundy. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd be wearing it if it weren't such a such a warm August day. But uh, but yeah, that not that that ever bothered Tom Baker. But here it is in all its glory. That's uh, cool. just for YouTube viewers. Meanwhile, yes, also follow us on TikTok, where we're posting short videos all the time. And uh, we got a lot of flatline vids up there uh, about the the visual gags, like the sledgehammer. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a nice, the, uh, that was a nice viral hit on yeah. TikTok. The one where we talked about the visual gags and like how it was really funny that they shrank the TARDIS down and then he was able to hand stuff to Clara and obviously that all leads up to the whole Adams family thing but arguably like the the gag the, the better gag it depends what your taste is but the better gag might be the one where it pulls out the sledgehammer or Clara pulls out the sledgehammer from her bag which is like Capaldi handing it to her from the TARDIS which was hilarious um, and we have a comment on that video from one Kyle Hart, H-A-R-T, and says, always said, Mary Poppins was a Time Lord. Indeed. Nice one, Kyle. Yes. Reference for perhaps you uh, Gen Z viewers who may not have come across Mary Poppins. Uh, she was always pulling stuff out of her back. Her back was always bigger on the inside. Yes. Mm. And uh, interestingly enough, like... <laughs> I, I did actually make make that connection when we were watching Flatline, and I I did think it did make me wonder when when does Mary Poppins fall out of copyright? Because you've you've, oh. you've noticed that oh. uh, Winnie the Pooh has recently fallen out of copyright, right? That's why we oh, we've yeah. had a number of of horror movies starring Winnie the Pooh because that character is now public domain. When Mary Poppins becomes public domain, you could totally do a horror movie where she is literally pulling a sledgehammer out of her bag. Hmm. Is Mary? Did Mary Poppins that? predate the movie? Like, was she stories before that? 
Yeah, she was. She was a story. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Okay. Uh, that was why you have that whole uh, that great movie, Saving Miss Saving Mister Banks, uh, about the making of Mary Poppins and the and the British author played by Emma Thompson, who did not like all the Hollywoodization, did not like the music um, mm. and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, good old Mary Poppins is going to be in able to be used and abused in the public domain sooner or later. We'll I'll watch for her that. in series 36 of Doctor <laughs> Who when right before he regenerates into Doctor Moon or something. <laughs> like be, you know, I'm, I'm sure yeah. the estate of the Mary Poppins author would love to have her on Doctor Who. I, I'm sure that, that that would be a team up for the ages. It's huge. All right. Well, I hope they do it in the show before it's in a big finished box set. So <laughs> looking forward to that. Um, not All looking right. forward to Pete, what I think we need what? to pivot you to. You know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking yes, forward I'd... to uh, learning all about this show called Full Circle. This this interesting story where the story behind the story may be more interesting. But hey, mm. I'm a little confused about the story itself. So is it uh, is it time, sir? Are you ready? Well, let me pull out my blackboard and <laughs> I will take you and everyone through the story full circle in what we believe is record time. I think I get yes. two minutes for this. You get two minutes. We get, uh, we issue 30 seconds per, per classic who episode, which is, is really like quite generous given that less stuff <laughs> happens in classic episodes. And, you know, there's all that overlap at the beginning and the end. And, you know, it's really, you're, you're getting, you're getting bonus time there. I think it's fair to say. No, it is so, not totally not fair to say this is okay. going to be, so, so uh, Pete, if you would rough. like to give your your thesis on the circle of life on Alzarius, uh, the the official no, <laughs> no, no I don't. No. <laughs> but I'll try. I'll give it a, a good old honest try here. You close your notes. I see. I see the red glow from your completely empty desktop. That's great. We do this blind. That's why it's such an exciting game show segment. We do it with the sound of a ticking clock, and it is the official pull to open summary of full circle in two minutes starting in three two one go so the doctor is about to take romana back to gallifrey because she's been summoned but she and him and k9 the tardis hits uh, uh cve they get thrown into e-space and e-space is this pocket universe and but they're not sure about this yet they land on the planet and it looks like it's gallifrey on the scanner but it's actually something totally different because the scanner is showing positive coordinates and this is negative coordinates and then uh this planet has uh some people on it who are sort of semi-primitive but they actually uh also have this star liner where like a good portion of the the people are and they kind of spend time so what's happening now is once every 50 years there's this thing called mistfall which essentially turns the atmosphere toxic or they think it's toxic and then these marshmen come out of the marsh and they're hostile and then there's these spiders that are hostile too so they all retreat to the star liner and uh they sort of wait it out for like 10 years but they keep replacing components and get preparing the starlight because they want to leave this planet eventually because they think they're descended from the original oh, starliner occupants but what happens is uh they're not they're actually they the doctor finds out that they're these are the people who have evolved from the marshmen and the spiders um and the, the original terror people from pterodon this other planet uh were 
uh, were, were killed by, by the Marshman eons ago. So they befriend this person named Adric, who has a family of uh, his brothers in the rebels here. Um, they figure this out. And even though the Marshmen have invaded the Starliner now and are threatening to kill them, they force them out with this oxygen. Nice. Uh, and then uh, basically the doctor teaches them how to fly the ship, which is the thing they haven't really been figured out, which is why they've been replacing components for eons. And he lets them go ahead and do it. They do it. And then the doctor, canine, and unbeknownst to them, Adric and Romana uh, are in the TARDIS and they're there in eSpace and they're going to be in eSpace for the foreseeable future. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You got three more seconds. And that's it. That's that's full circle. (laughs) (laughs) That's full circle. You've come full circle. Congratulations. That was wow. How far we have come since our early TLDWs. I've, I've been listening to a lot of those. and Wow, that, that was masterfully done, sir. Thanks. Uh, I, I, I could have added a little more, as you always can in these episodes. I think I summarized the story. I mean, I didn't really mention Varsh yes. and his, his death at the Varsh, end. Varsh Adric's brother, who is totally forgettable. Well, I also uh, didn't really mention the political system, which is the, the deciders overseeing this whole group. Of people. That's right. I, um, I've, I've decided, by the way, I'm going to call you Decider Pete for the rest of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Good. They call each other decider, I like that. Decider their names. Uh, well, I the like thing the is, they're not really called... deciders, is the problem. That's uh, what sort of happens. Spoiler alert for, for episode four, which is that they they <laughs> yeah, end up indeciders. being completely yeah, indecisive and, and impotent. Yes. They can't really do it. Now, as, as an inveterate procrastinator, this, this is, I love this. I love this story. This is the story for procrastination. It's the only story where procrastination is a plot point. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because you didn't mention the, the deciders are deliberately uh, not uh, preparing the the ship. Or did you did you say that? Um, I, I think I did. Yes, I tried to okay. say that they keep. I, I might not have been clear about they're they keep replacing these components, but they're they don't need to. It's just this redundant work. It's busy work they're giving the people with this fictional future of embarkation, and it's like we're we're preparing, and we mm-hmm. have to prepare across generations. Um, which is kind of a cool story. I actually don't mind that. I, yeah. I, I think it's a decent kind of uh, Doctor Who plot. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, but also, uh, just to close the loop on things that you may not have mentioned, did you mention Romana getting getting bitten by a spider and turning into... I didn't. I kind of uh, skipped over that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's pretty skippable. I think you, mm-hmm. you may have... like. <laughs> I, I think one of the things about the, these summaries is it does sort of the, the wheat from the chaff a little bit of of the For story sure. like you really just have to go down to the meat and bones and yeah romana being possessed uh with lines on her face that kind of look cool mm. i'm gonna say you know yeah, it, they do, okay. it, it really lala ward's got a hell of a face to to put you know beautiful glowing marks on and <laughs> so she she looks pretty good possessed but did we really need another Doctor Who possession? And uh, we did just come straight from one. In, did, didn't we do this in Arc of Infinity? Uh, mm. Or another one recently? Oh, well, I the don't. only thing, yeah, yeah, there's like 
possessions all over the place in Doctor, especially this era. But yeah. the only the only thing she really does in terms of the story is open the door for the Marshmen at the end of episode yeah. three, which creates the massive crisis. Otherwise, like a lot of it is just vamping and you, <laughs> no, I, that's, you know, that's state of decay. That's the next story. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> well, she's, she's, she's marshing, she's prepping. <laughs> yeah. she's marshing about. Uh, yeah, she's she's kind, of, but she's kind of waving her hands, and you can tell, kind of like Peter Grimwade, who's the director, was probably struggling to give her the right direction and make it look like something. You know, it's just kind of like filler. And I got to say, there's there's that's probably the most egregious bit of filler. There's clearly like filler in there's a lot of filler in Full Circle. I, I don't think it's even like four episodes. It could have easily been three, and. Mm. The you can tell because the recaps are very long at the beginning yeah. of each episode. They, they, it's like a full two minutes of recap of the previous episode, which is even by classic series stance was was quite a long time. So there's definitely some patty in here. And I think the, the Romana stuff, apart from the opening the door kind of is because then it's like he does this sort of Spider-Man cure of like, let's just go to the lab and whip up a serum and then. <laughs> poured it i guess they poured it i guess they injected her i guess but like you know she's fine well, in the next scene pete you you say padding i say really sensual scene where amana gets to touch fingers with a marsh creature <laughs> uh what was that about and and by the way peter grimwade what is it about uh the angle on some of these shots of the marsh man that is very much at crotch level um yeah what is up here i mean they i with with romana like being being all lovey-dovey with one and that and those shots i mean my own my only conclusion from all of this is that marshman can get it yeah well there was apparently the costume designer who designed the outfits initially actually wanted to give them realistic anatomy too so, oh wow <laughs> yeah in other words like they're walking around naked i mean if you if humanoids are walking around naked and you know they have genitals that their genitals will be out there and then they basically said that how else are they going to evolve <laughs> exactly <laughs> so that was apparently a bridge too far probably the right call but can you imagine like lala ward doing like the thing with the guy and his his junk is just out there <laughs> like it's just like hey, what show is this uh, yeah. yeah wow my goodness uh <laughs> and it's especially interesting okay so this might be a good moment to segue briefly we'll we'll come back to the performances and the production and all of that but the story behind the story on this one is almost mm. more interesting than the story itself because right. it's the first doctor who story written by a fan of the show a young who fan. was 17 yeah he was andrew 17 smith. when he wrote this mm -hmm. andrew smith Holy cow! I did not know this story. Did you? Before, before uh, I, I had heard it. Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing about this because Andrew Smith and um, Matthew Waterhouse were both very young. They were both like roughly seventeen, mm -hmm. and they were both fans of the show. And it was a kind of a weird time, right? Because like this is nineteen eighty. Franchises like Doctor Who are just sort of starting to realize their franchises. You know, and even though it's kind of, you think about back then, it was a pretty nerdy thing to be into Star Trek or Doctor Who or whatever. But yeah. fan groups in the 70s started really organizing, uh, particularly with Star Trek conventions and stuff. And then at this point, you know, you're, you there's that symbiotic relationship just starting to begin of like, oh, we're, we're talking about the show. We, we want to... Uh, meet the people and and you know like interact with the people creating the show 
And there's kind of a bit at this point, the attitude of like, well, why not? You know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like, and again, like, I'm not saying that they opened the doors and stuff, but like the fact that Chris Bidmead, who was the yeah. script editor at the time, was basically willing to listen, you know, like, well, you know, he, he was the new script editor and JNT right. was the new producer. And this is really, a lot of people talk about full circles, the beginning of the John Nathan Turner era. So there was this desire mm-hmm. for a clean sweep. And as you say, there was this big, big fan conduit. So Ian Levine, who we came across uh, last week and uh, or the, two weeks ago in Ark of Infinity, um, was, uh, was responsible for, for some of this story as well. And, uh, you know, that he was advising on stuff and, like it's yeah, this is the era of like fan-driven Doctor Who and the beginning of like fan service mentions of every, every, every episode and uh, yeah, uh, you know, and the BBC of- kind of willing willing to engage too. Yes. I mean, there's there's this is nothing to do with full circle, but there's a funny story about the people. There's a lot of people who like build Daleks, like full size Daleks now. But that yeah. was this had someone had written into the BBC right around this time and said, Hey, I'd love to build a Dalek. And the BBC actually sent them plans, like the literal like yeah. prop plan so they could do it. And like, can you imagine like that even happening? Like in any franchise today, like it's just well, crazy. Can you imagine being a young Andrew Smith, who by the way, wanted to be a right, uh, you know, started submitting at 15. Mm. That was his first submission to Doctor Who. He was encouraged by Douglas Adams. Uh, right. Who was when he was briefly a script editor to to keep sending in stuff. Um, Apparently, I, I he to... also bought Douglas Adams bought Andrew Smith his first drink. Wow. <laughs> According to the commentary. But yep. that I can totally believe. Uh, knowing Douglas Adams was was fond of his brewskis. Um, not not to the level of Graham Chapman, who he was working with. But anyway, that's uh, <laughs> oh, school. yes. Uh, yeah, uh, but now uh, one of the biggest conduits that you're talking about between the fans of the show was was Doctor Who magazine, which which became a monthly right. around about this time, and uh, really started to have a big impact on the show. And there's great essay in About Time by Tat Wood that that series of books, probably the most scholarly sure. and exhaustive series on 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 everything about did Doctor Who magazine change everything? And it was part of like you know the way that RTD. Uh, and Moffat have used Doctor Who magazine now, like JNT pioneered that. Uh, mm, he totally. he would talk directly to the fans through the magazine. The magazine was like <laughs> notoriously inaccurate in in parts, and uh, <laughs> but it was right around now. It was right around full circle. I actually remember getting one of my first copies of of Doctor Who magazine or Doctor Who monthly, as I think it was called briefly, with a shot from Full Circle uh, or somewhere in the E Space trilogy on the cover. So like this was very much associated with it. Mm. And as you say, they did send Matthew Waterhouse and Andrew Smith out on the road as the, you know, the brash young new faces of Dr. Who. Uh, Andrew mm. Smith was so young. He, when he got on set, I don't, I think he had like food poisoning or something, but like he, he <laughs> vomited all over one of the marshmallows. Yeah, there was a lot of vomiting at this point in Doctor Who. <laughs> I feel like whether it's people <laughs> having their first drink or what, because there was like Castor Valva. There's the famous story of the Matthew Waterhouse drinking too much. I don't um, wow. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get there when we get there. But it's probably worth touching on at this point, like the original sort of storyline for um, Full Circle, which is very similar to sort of what we see. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, but it is a little bit different. So like uh, apparently he called it the planet that slept. Or planet, right. you know, and, and it retained. I guess, I guess, if you look at the story of Full Circle with this sort of evolutionary chain between the spiders, the marshmen, and the mm. people, 
Um, there, there is, I don't know if it's like sleeping per se, cause they're rapidly evolving, but the idea that these folks are just kind of going round and round, you know, mm-hmm. and again, the, the full circle apt, <laughs> I guess, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's a very, um, uh, that's the only way the planet that slept kind of makes sense to me, you know, cause I, otherwise it's I, not, I, it's not sleepy per se, other than it's sort of primitive. You know, it, ha- it has been pointed out that, that Andrew Smith uh, copied a lot of elements from uh, science fiction novels that had just been released at the time. Like people have noticed little things here and there in full circle that, that he, he obviously pulled from other places. I don't get Like it's minor stuff. I don't care. I don't mind. But I wish that he had read Lord of Light. Uh, have you read that hmm. one, Roger, Roger Zelazny? I haven't. I mean, because that literally is a full circle of a plot because it's it, it's about these colonists on a spaceship who decide to become Hindu gods, uh, hmm. separate themselves, like the leaders of the colonists become these gods, literally te- name themselves after the Hindu gods. And then there's uh, one guy who names himself Siddhartha, you know, becomes the Buddha character and is constantly, uh, you know, kind of in opposition to the gods. And it's suggested in the story that the time is literally is a circle as it was in these ancient religions. Oh, you know, okay. It's literally recurring and going around. So I wish he'd added like some some of that layer of kind of symbolism everywhere instead of just suddenly coming up in episode four with like oh hey we're coming full circle you know like hey doink big metaphor for entire plot approaching um yeah the problem is you don't reveal the entire plot until later but it'd be nice to have it foreshadowed more but hey 17 year old kid it's amazing that he did what he did i'm i'm not i don't want to knock andrew smith at all no not at all i I realized i didn't sort of fully explain the original plot which was a much more conventional um Mm. like basically the starliner crashes while the doctor and ramana are there um these marshmen there's still mistfall and the marshmen came out and they're really hostile but basically they need to fend off it's much more conventional fend off the violent marshmen and help the starliner people get off the planet while befriending kind of like the marsh child who is like the pacifist among them the marsh child who according to some accounts was called marsha Oh really? Uh, oh man! Yes, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Okay. Well, I'm uh, glad that didn't make name. it in the script. Yes, spelt spelt like the the natural feature rather than the name. So yeah, yeah, even worse. Uh, and I think that was that was some suggestion that was going to be the name for the new companion at first. So you yeah, know, I'm going to say what we rarely say, which thank goodness we got Adric. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny. Let's talk about Adric. Okay. So that honestly, oh, this story is most memorable for the introduction of Adric. And um, apparently there were contributions here as there wasn't a lot of things from John Nathan Turner and Mm -hmm. Chris Bidmead on like what this character was going to be. So we said this before in our state of decay podcast, but it was a while back. So it's worth going over again that he is described as uh, Adric. His character outline is that he's an artful dodger, Mm -hmm. uh, but also a mathematical genius. And, you know, one guess as to who among JNT and Chris Bidmead <laughs> did which, you know? Yes. Was it the guy who gave us Legopolis, the planet of mathematics? Perhaps was a fan of giving him a mathematics medal? Could be. And then we're not doing the emoji challenge right now, so you don't get an audio sting, but yes, that's correct. So anyway, um, so, so here's where I would say that I think – I get it. I mean, they're both on display here, right? Like in, with the, in the case of the badge, which is kind of silly um, on, on visual display, which, by the way, is sort of as a side note, 
was really emphasis like like the Adric's badge and you know frankly everything he wears is very much the costume idea of like John Nathan Turner like when John Nathan Turner took over people weren't just in clothes anymore they were like wearing full-on costumes and that sort of the badge is definitely sort of an emblem of that era that doesn't necessarily make it bad but it is one of these things where the 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 badge is like um it almost like it literally gives him something to point like look at me i'm special right and i think if yeah. you if you want to unpack adric and uh, you know um he's he's kind of a kid who's always been told he's special and isn't he kind of behaves that way sometimes you know like he's kind of has this entitled attitude mm. uh to some extent i i kind of wish adric in his run like when they talk about his maths, he's good with math. He's got mathematical excellence. He he never really his material doesn't show like that being practically useful, right? Like every now and then he solves like some impossible square root or something, or finds the coordinates back to East Base or whatever. But he doesn't like show like how that him being logical and having that good sense of like problem solving actually solves problems. In fact, he's sort of more often creates problems for the TARDIS team. So that's too bad. Um, yeah, definitely. You wouldn't, you wouldn't come away from, from you, you might come away saying, you know, annoying uh, mathematics genius uh, from the character of Adric, but you wouldn't come away saying, Oh, that, that, that bloke's a bit of an artful dodger. Uh, you don't well, they try. Kind of vibe at all. The, yeah, I know. I agree. I agree. The art for dodger thing doesn't work at all. Although they're, they're trying here, right? They're showing him like mm-hmm. stealing the image translator. That's just like big, I'm, I'm a bad guy moment. And, but you get the sense from the earlier moments, like say when he's trying to join the outsiders or whatever they're called, like the, the group is brother Varsh. The, the, the outlers, I believe. Yes. <laughs> is that even a word? Okay. Cause I always, it's, I looked at that nuts. and I think, is that, are they outliers? Are they missing a vowel? <laughs> I think that's what happened. He took outliers and crossed out the I and was like, hey, that's a cool ba- uh, gang name or band name, even. Kind of reminds yeah. me of the uh, the Wanders in that, that movie, uh, uh, That Thing You Do. Uh, where they, they, you know, oh, they yeah, yeah. And We're the, the, the Wanders, right? Oneidas? <laughs> Outlers? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's basically the, that's the vibe of the Outlaws. They're a bunch of kids who think they're cool and have given themselves a cool name, and everyone, everyone else is like, "Screw you! We're, we're the deciders." Like, yeah, well, I think I think that actually works in terms of the storyline. There's not there could have been more depth to it, but the idea that this group who have chips on their shoulder and they think they're rebels, but actually it turns out their whole point of view about this is wrong and they they end up joining um the deciders you know they even see varsh mm-hmm. and everyone sort of doing the work of for the embarkation and stuff like they completely wholesale buy into it um but i you know i wish they'd gone even further you know with more of that uh rever- like almost a re-reversal because the deciders are then exposed seemingly to be completely bankrupt in terms of like what they can offer and th- their system has only kept these people uh, oppressed really and yeah, they're, they're not going anywhere really... you know this is the planet that's left right they're not they're not actually doing anything um yeah. so if they'd gone more with that and played up a bit more of that conflict between the outlers or, and varsh and everyone else i think you have a much better episode four and you might even yeah. have a much more believable death scene with varsh 
You Unfortunately, could even they didn't do that. You could you could sort of mirror the uh, the evolutionary design of the whole story, and I think you're, you're sort of hinting at this that you could say that outlaws becoming deciders is part of the evolution of the individual lives of these people as they just learn to accept the bureaucracy and the system and the way things are. And wow, wouldn't that be a deep commentary on life? Uh, yeah. And you know, uh, evolution and and the more things change. The more they stay the same. Uh, yeah, and also, yeah, you, know. you know, have have like something closer to a full-on revolution. Um, yeah. Here they kind of almost want it both ways right up until the end. Mm. Um, though, sorry, I, I kind of want to close the book a little bit on Adric before I get into oh, yes. the story. So the other part that I didn't talk about was the artful Dodger part. And again, there's a little bit of that with the image translator and his performative stuff. I, I, I think it is performative at the beginning where he's like trying to join them, but he's clearly not cut of the same cloth. Like you're not a badass, Adric. Yes, you can swim. Uh, yes. You like, I get that you want to be just like your brother, but you're not, you're, you're, you're actually much more decider than outler. And you know, I don't think the show ever comes and says that, but I think that's very clear from like his performance and, and everything uh, that happens with him. You know, having said he's not an awful dodger, I'm I'm now coming to realize I not I didn't at any moment realize that the uh, image translator was stolen. So he maybe he convinced me. Maybe Matthew Ward has was actually very good at shoplifting at the time, because he mm. has such an innocence about him that you don't actually like anything he picks up. He must be supposed to pick that thing up. It just yeah it doesn't occur to you. Well, they do have the bit the bit where Tom Baker, like the doctor, is actually. They kind of almost get in a yelling match, uh, very, very briefly, where he's like, "Do you think it's all right to take other people's property?" And he's like, "Sometimes." Like, actually, that's a, a kind of a decent moment for Adric in that he's he's kind of trying to be outwardly defiant, uh, and it's not a serious disagreement they're having, but it is like, "Huh, okay." And you you almost do get a sense of like Tom Baker almost like why the Doctor likes Adric, you know? Like it's like, "Huh, okay, I respect that." You know? Which which is a uh, hella acting, given that we kn- we know that their relationship <laughs> was poisoned right from from two stories ago, from two stories in the filming order, uh, State of Decay, where I think this the story was Matthew Wardhouse gave Tom Baker acting advice on day one. Yeah, yeah, I think by this point, I don't know. Well, actually, according to Matthew Waterhouse in the commentary for Full Circle, um, he he simply just didn't have a good experience with Tom Baker, probably because mm-hmm. of, partly at least because of the his his advice to him in uh, this mm-hmm. state of decay shoot but also like i mean being honest like tom baker was difficult right and he oh, yeah. he certainly was even more difficult in his last year where his mm-hmm. health was starting to fail and he was knowing that he was on his way out and it was very uh had mixed emotions about it so it was it was mm-hmm. basically one of the first things matthew potterhouse says in the commentary was this was not a fun shoot yeah. um yeah I, I can believe it baker looks tired in this, I mean, he still can summon his utter outrage as it when he shouts the line, "Not an alibi, deciders." Yes, uh, wow, you really feel some Capaldi-esque rage there, and it was almost like Tom Baker getting his late entry in for you know best actor. Uh, sorry, Tom, we we gave the Oscar out last week. Um, <laughs> but well, it, I mean, this was, is the thing. I mean, so Tom Baker, up, but he's so tired. He's so yeah. Over it. I, it's true. Like he had issues 
off screen. He had health problems, but honestly, like he does not phone it in. Like Tom Baker is mm. still very much like in command here, and it's great because he is he's got great seat, great lines like the one you just talked about with the deciders. But even even earlier, where they're all kind of like dramatically introducing themselves, I'm. Well, I forget their names now, but like Negan and Logan, and he just he just grins ear to ear, and I'm the doctor. Like yes. I, I had oh, to yeah, burst out laughing when he says that. He's just kind of like being all ironic about. I mean, this is so fun. Is Everyone it, gets to announce themselves. Look at me. Is is this is it is it Spinal Tap the movie with where they do that? Like they introduce themselves one by one. It just feels very much like this scene. Uh, huh. I, I kind of want to edit the two together and look at the, how, how similar they are. Uh, but yeah, that, that is a very, very funny scene. He does play off the funniness without doing the, the big Tom Baker sin of breaking the fourth wall. And there's a line early on where he says something like, I'm good with children. Um, right. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, remember I, was, I was briefly Four looking away at that point and I had to snap my head back to the screen to see if Tom Baker had, had done a, a wink to the to the camera when he said that because i feared that uh, well both of those scenes no, are borderline right no, they're borderline coming up to the fourth wall and sort of acknowledging the silliness of the scene not the silliness in the case of the marsh child but in that um he has a line that is that is very knowing about what's going on mm. and on the show itself but it doesn't it, it goes up to the line but it doesn't quite cross it which he of course has done in previous seasons right like when yes, he's literally he broken the fourth wall in uh, invasion of time and other places, so this this is where it's yeah. like okay, like he, he stops himself yeah, before this is ruining much, the thing. It, it made me feel uh, that it was a much more uh, new who ish kind of kind of vibe to to that line, uh, the way it's yeah. presented here. Um, so but back yeah, to the deciders, yeah. I think, and mm. you know the whole yes, the whole storyline. Yeah, I mean, like. The deciders and this system, like uh, this is sort of the part of the story that works. Uh, and it sort of comes around to really working in the last episode where they're in the middle of a mm. crisis when the Marshmen have invaded and all they can do is look through binders for to try to figure out what's going on. And I got to <laughs> say, as much as this is a bit contrived, I, I do find it, it still works. Like it worked then and it works now. I'd say it even works oh, yeah. better today. Because I think we've all been in, uh, you know, if you're in any kind of office job or on Zoom meetings, you've all been in stuff where you're trying to decide what to do. And there's usually someone mm-hmm. who's making the case for status quo and is saying thing. And, and sometimes I'm not saying they're always wrong, but the, there's always like more analysis you can do. And there's always like more data. Like, are we sure this is the thing? Should we get should we get more data? And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying data is not important, but it, there's kind of like a point where you just like look we could we could analyze this forever and still not be 100% sure that a is better than b we just need to make a decision you know and that that's still true that's just a, that's just a human thing i think it's probably something that yep. was true 100 years ago or 500 years ago and uh it, it but- is a, a nice reversal of what you expect from from a doctor who story many doctor who stories have had this situation where there's a, a small council of old white men uh, who are running <laughs> a planet or a colony or whatever and you know that we we're about to have the three who rule like it's literally you know mm. that from the three who decide to the three who rule but it's so wonderfully subversive here uh that that they are procrastinating that they are actively not deciding and uh and we even down to the, to the last scene in which we see them in which they're still deciding about whether to take off all they had to do, have to do is hit the green button 
They still yeah. haven't decided. And I really wish that they hadn't had the extra scene where you, the doctor somehow manages with the image translator to see them taking off. Which yeah, I was just going to ask you, how, how did you like that? It fe- almost yeah. felt like a late addition. It felt it felt a bit yeah. like they, I know they didn't do this, but it almost felt like they, they showed full circle to test audiences without that scene. <laughs> and then some test audience said, but what happened with the Starliner? And then they had some committee meeting where they, oh yeah, I guess we throw in an extra shot of the Starliner <laughs> Ironically. taking off. Ironically, you know. a committee meeting decided. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, but that's I'd, what I'd it like felt to, like. I'd like to pause at this point and say that we've we've now done two stories where it felt like there was there was a really decent idea at the heart of it that were kind of messed up by being written by committee, right? By hmm. by JNT saying I want this, and you know, and uh, Andrew Smith being told that he has to go away and add e e space to his narrative because uh, you know that was. Uh, right. By the way, the reason be, for eSpace no. is JNT was was suspicious of season arcs, uh, season long arcs. But he's like, no, oh, do do a mini season arc. Like I remember mm. the key to time. That was a rubbish season arc. Do a mini season arc. Anyway, so Andrew Smith has to add that, and you got to feel like it's a lesser story because of it, and it just sort of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to to layer the two together. I just think Full Circle gets weaker because of it. Yeah, well, the eSpace thing, we could unpack that a little bit. I mean, there's nothing eSpace adds to this, right? This could this is easily an adventure you could throw into our universe. And in fact, mm-hmm. they almost sort of seems to imply that it was, right? Because they call the original planet Pterodon, which mm-hmm. Terra, Don, interesting. <laughs> like, it's it's almost like there's all, uh, I, I'm not 100% sure of this, but it feels like that's a bit of a almost Battlestar Galactica background of like, hey, maybe they're from Earth. That's right. Um, maybe Terra that is done. Yeah, that met, that name got sort of perverted or, or changed throughout uh, throughout time, and they, obviously we see that sort of very idea in the next story and mm-hmm. State of Decay. I got to say, on the season arcs, I I actually like this season arc potentially better than almost any of the other JNT ones because if the E Space thing tees up anything, it's Logopolis, yeah. right? Like it's like this little other universe thing and it gives that whole idea in Logopolis, like we have to open up voids to other universes, some real weight because you kind of really get it. Oh, we've just seen eSpace and that's sort of a consequence of this. So I got to give JNT some decent points on, on this particular arc, even though he probably didn't know what he was doing at the time. Um, but the eSpace thing, like in this story, it doesn't add anything. State of Decay is kind of okay because it's like the vampires hidden in a pocket universe. Okay, that sort of explains mm. why he was able to evade the time lords and then warrior's gate is the one where it's it's the biggest uh part of it because it's like they're at zero coordinates they're at the gate and mm. there's a, there's a whole thing there um though arguably the whole thing is just a budget saving move because there's literally no backgrounds for like 90 percent of the story it was it was just all white wasn't it wow but you think God. of think of potential stuff they could have done with a whole other universe with arguably entirely different physics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, none of that is really tapped in this arc, which, you know, maybe it's, it's asking a little too much of 1980 Doctor Who. Um, fair enough. Uh, but I wouldn't mind seeing them try it on screen at some point. They kind of did a little bit of this in the big finishes. So there's, there's something called the divergent universe arc where they go into, mm-hmm. they literally go to another universe with different physics, um, which is kind of cool. 
but yeah, it's it's an undertapped idea, surprisingly, for 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 one of the few franchises that actually does this kind of thing. Well, speaking of undertapped, let's talk about Gallifrey because they are okay. Technically, didn't we just standing, do that? <laughs> technically, standing on Gallifrey. Arc of Infinity. Well, yes, exactly, exactly, and and yes, another reason for the randomizer to bring us here, right? There it is. We didn't, we don't think of this as a Gallifrey story, but it's a freaking Gallifrey story. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, Alzirius, I believe at one point in the script was called Yellowfrag. Yellow, something like it was Gallifrey backwards. Oh. God. Uh, Are you sure that was an actual thing? I think yeah, I read about this, but it felt like it was a placeholder. It, yeah, it might have been a placeholder, but you know, the, it, it, it introduces more of a connection between the two planets, which you've got to feel like yeah. there should be a connection between exact the two same planets. coordinates, just yes. negative. Yeah, so like they, are they are they try? It would be wonderful if Full Circle was trying to say something about Gallifreyans that mm. perhaps they themselves have evolved which is very interesting to revisit in the Timeless Child era, right? Where we find mm. out that Gallifreyan history had more of an evolution involving the Doctor than we knew about. Right. Uh, hmm. So, yeah, it just, you know, again, again, suffers from like, you know, oh, we're just going to layer this thing on without any thought to how this affects the story or, you know, the, the p- missed opportunities this is going to create. Yeah, I mean, I didn't didn't hate the idea that this is, you know Gallifrey in the, in the normal space because it introduces a couple of interesting things. So there's the whole TARDIS scanner bit where it's showing Gallifrey because it's it's programmed to show, I guess, the absolute value of the coordinates, mm. which is to say it's always assuming positive coordinates, and so it's showing what's in the real universe, which is is kind of like if you think about it, like very interesting in terms of how the TARDIS scanner works. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, it's clearly not just an optical camera because otherwise like why, w- and why wouldn't you just at the very least have an optical camera as a backup? But I do like mm-hmm. the idea that the scanner is giving you a even more true representation of what's outside the TARDIS than uh, an optical camera ever could. Cause it's actually like getting the space time waves or whatever and, and showing them to you. I, um, Isn't it interesting? We also just came from a story in which the scanner uh, played an important role in the first few minutes. Yeah. Uh, well, I definitely yeah. noticed there's no sound. <laughs> there's one. no sound on that scanner. If we added audio, it would be much better. Um, but yeah, that audio would still tell them, I guess, it's Gallifrey. You'd hear the winds of the wasteland there. By the way, Pete, pop quiz. What what color is the sky on Gallifrey? Uh, it's, the sky's orange. Uh, okay, so why when they're seeing look at it on the scanner, is it blue? I don't know. Maybe maybe it's nighttime. Maybe nighttime is blue. Let's go with that. Because I think <laughs> if you actually look best head kind of answer, well done. <laughs> if you liked the uh, scenes of Gallifrey in the invasion of time when when she's out in the mm. the wilderness, I think it's mostly overcast. Yes. So it's mostly you don't really know. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, it's British weather until the clouds clear and then it's orange uh, but also I, I was trying to remember in Day of the Doctor when, when he's in the shack in the wastelands which is presumably the same area isn't the mm. sky blue then? <sighs> it could be well, it could certainly be. isn't hell bent 
It's blue and hell bent. It is, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe the, the wastelands like have a lot of orange hues, stomach. though. I feel like there are orange hues in hell bent, especially when you see yeah. the doctor just kind of walking in the yeah. distance. Something I, I seem to recall it's like orange, and then I think they're. It's not like clearly blue. I think in those other scenes, I don't know. Someone, someone, check it out and let us know. But like the stay, stay tuned for the next, sky. For, stay tuned for the next pull to open short trip on the color of the sky <laughs> on Gallifrey. <laughs> Why is the sky orange? And Where are those silver trees? Yeah. What's going on? I never, I never see the silver trees. Like they should just have a silver tree that they're walking by in an atrium or a cloister somewhere. It's like, oh yes, of course, silver trees. That's what we do here. Uh, speaking of large uh, wooden standing objects, um, <laughs> this may be the best segue ever. The hat stand in the TARDIS falls over mm-hmm. uh, yep. when when they do the the when the the it goes between E space and and regular space, right? When Romana's traveling with the Outlers in the TARDIS between the two. Well, no, that's just just the Marshman. That's just the Marshman carrying the TARDIS. Oh, it's the Marshman carrying the TARDIS. Okay, so that's when that's when the hat stand falls over. Yeah, they lop it up on its side and start spinning around with it. Start doing like Michael Jordan basketball spinning with the (laughs) the TARDIS, even though it weighs five times ten to the six kilos. It's no problem for Marshman. Apparently, uh, must be the special edition version you watch. But yeah, okay, like okay. That, that does bring up the whole thing about like, wait a minute, did you just say the TARDIS is like 5,000 tons? Yes. You know, <laughs> I don't think that's right, Romana. I'm sorry. It's, this is, this kind of almost becomes Mary Tam Romana for a second to say that, you know, like, because, because clearly it's not that heavy. And I, I wonder how that sort of snuck into the script. Cause you think like the whole point is the Marshmen are carrying this thing around and she's, she gives some ungodly, high number mm. ostensibly just to give scientific notation uh, a minute so that we can show Adric understands scientific notation. Cause he's got yes. a badge that says he likes math. She, she might just be testing Adric in that moment. Uh, it might be uh, part of a math problem that she's about to give him. Uh, because of course we know from flatline, we know from mm? uh, two, two stories ago in our journey that the, if the TARDIS actually materialized in its proper form on a planet full on, it would, it would crush the planet, right? It would crush the planet, even though 5,000 tons would not crush the planet. If that's like its actual weight, <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah, that it would, isn't. that would, it couldn't be lifted. It would be a problem. It would crack certainly concrete underneath it. Um, but well, it wouldn't crack the whole maybe, planet. Maybe that maybe the TARDIS has put on some weight since then. I mean, it is, you know, it has been running around on our screens for over sixty years. It's allowed to get a bit, you know, a bit, a uh, bit of love handles. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. And speaking of the TARDIS, which again, low key, big TARDIS story here, much used. Mm-hmm. Um, true, but it it may be the most battered I've ever seen it. Yeah, it doesn't look great. The prop it's really is distressed. Seen better days. Um, I think I'm not sure exactly what in the history of Doctor. I know there's a whole book on this that <laughs> explores the TARDIS props, but they built a couple. They built an extra one I think, for Legopolis, right? Or they had an extra uh, one, and so I think yeah. I think at this point they're starting to um, upgrade it a little bit. But yeah, it is definitely not looking good. Um, <laughs> there's, did you like that bit by the way, where Tom Baker is like? miming where the TARDIS is and when oh, he yes. comes back to the TARDIS and it's not there because the Marshman took it away and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he's, he just kind of becomes a mime for a minute. 
yeah, I wasn't sure what was going on there. I really, maybe I just wasn't paying attention in the section. Uh, I, I did, I did zone out at a lot of the pretty colours of, of uh, full circle. I'd say. Oh, um, is that portending your uh, your rating? <laughs> hey, perhaps. Hey, hey, hey. Um, hey. So <laughs> seen through my paper thin scheme. Let me let me ask you another thing about mm-hmm. this, and I think we should focus on this for a minute. Uh, the Marshman. So. In terms of looking good, Doctor Who that looks good, I'm not Mm. sure if I can sort of say that, even though like even correcting for budget and the time and everything, just because the Marshmen are such a conventional looking and behaving monster. Like it is it is the most cliche design for Mm. a humanoid creature that comes out of a swamp. And this particular episode a lot of episodes in this era but this particular one is also so brightly lit Hmm. uh, particularly on the starliner scenes that how could you not be very aware that these are just folks in rubber suits you know (laughs) and they don't have any dialogue they you know oink a lot and they oink yes yeah they kind of like pull out clubs and they have a tiny bit of the interaction we talked about with like romana uh, which is a little inexplicable, but I'll go with it because it's like, well, why would they suddenly have this symbiotic relationship with her? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we could talk about the spiders too and wh- what that's about. And the venom somehow turns her into sort of a quasi marshman. Uh, but I think the marshmen themselves just aren't, aren't really great. They're just, just such a, I don't think they're bad, but they're kind of like a very mid doctor who monster. Oh, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I actually love the the Marshman, and it may be this may be kind of a fixed point in time moment. I'm going to going to sprinkle references into other ratings just to keep you <laughs> keep you guessing. Um, yeah, I I because I remember this as a kid. I remember them being scary uh, as hmm. as a kid. So I can't not see them as scary, even though yes, they do appear to be wearing flesh colored cufflinks. Um, they. <laughs> You know this. This is this is bubble wrap done right, my friend. This is this is. It yeah. feels good and it looks good. And I just, I you know, I think the the note from Andrew Smith was was well taken. Was that they really needed more slime on their costumes? I think that's probably right. what he was trying to say with with his vomit. I just like the idea of the the guy in the Marshman costume standing there after he does that and just going. So any other notes? <laughs> um, you you think I should throw up in this? I I get it. Stuff dribbling from us. I no. I I I like that. I certainly like them better than the spiders. <laughs> yeah, the spiders say. are horrible. I mean, it's that's one where I'm just like, wow, that that, that is, has not. Like, I understand they have no money, but at the same time, like, no one could have called like a spider wrangler at the zoo or something and <laughs> get a couple tarantulas and a couple like Goliath spiders and just do some close ups and. I don't know, like green screen in uh, Lala Ward here and there. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it does, it does make sense though, that, you know, R- Romana is sort of surprisingly uh, unscared when she's like, Oh, what, what's the fuss? It's just spiders. She says at one point. Yeah. She's uh, surprisingly like not open to things not being what she expects. Right. You think again, <laughs> at this point in her adventures with the doctor, she'd be like ready for anything. And she's just like, trying to put on a brave face for the others, I guess. Like, they're only spiders. Well, <laughs> spiders, even if they're only spiders, like, some spiders are pretty harmful. And, you know, we're, we're on an alien planet in another universe. You yeah. might want to open your mind to the possibility that they're really, really freaking dangerous. 
That's right. There may be no vaccine for these spiders, Urban Miner. There may be no antidote to, to that venomous bite. Uh, and yet, of course, the doctor can move on up in, in a hurry. But yeah, it, it, it does make sense that she would not be afraid of those ones. Um, sh- should we just talk a little bit about... Um, well, there's two directions we can go here. And I think we can, I've, I've got a way to tie the two together. One is Romana, and one right. is the evolutionary cycle of, of the planet Elzerus. And I can tie them together with Richard Dawkins uh, because he is, as many people might know, Lala Ward's second uh, husband uh, af- after Tom Baker. And I'm, I'm sure that she may have at some point caught hell for this story and its depiction of evolution um, happening uh, in, mm. in so few generations. And it's happening so that, okay, so... So they're evolving from from marshy amphibian creatures right. into humans. How did where did the hair come from? Uh, you know, uh, Ricky's Ricky's cells. Uh, so I'm sure that's probably was factored in. Um, I would love to see some inserted scene where the, you could see the the marshmallow breaking in the ship because there is a hairdresser's. They're actually getting hair plugs fitted. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I I can pick at Waterworld for giving Kevin Costner gills too, right? And and <laughs> it doesn't really make any like evolutionary sense, but it is like okay, I, I, you, you kind of have to go with it a little bit. And the the number of generations that it's taken the Marshmen to turn into humanoids, conventional humanoids, um, is a, some debate, right? Because they initially say forty, but that's clearly not the case, and then. Hmm. Romana suggests 4,000. Well, Romana suggests 4,000, but then the doctor says 40,000. Again, this is generation. So you sort of like times 25. Um, So, so we're talking hundreds of thousands, not millions of years, Hmm. which does sound better. um, But I think the Tom Baker line is a fluff. So in other words, he was supposed to say 4,000 and he was sort of famous for either intentionally or unintentionally fluffing his lines and then going with it because, he would just refuse to do another take or just say that's what he wanted to do anyway, or people wouldn't catch. I don't know. There's probably multiple reasons. A lot of these lines slipped in. Um, is it, is it realistic that this human overturned? I don't know. Maybe on this planet again, you kind of given a get out of jail free card with the uh, alternate universe. Um, and they say, even within the confines of this universe, this is rapid evolution. Right. And they sort of try mm. to make that point with Adric's, fast healing which by the way i'm glad they didn't forget about because he heals really quickly in the visitation as well uh and the the few sort of injuries he gets throughout so it's like they didn't forget that he as an elzurian he heals quick so yeah all of that all of that kind of does get weirder it does the life cycle does get weirder because if you remember the spiders come from eggs that are inside the fruit yeah that's weird people are eating well but it, it, it happens every 40 or 50 years, yes. something like that. So, so the, the spiders come with mistfall and the marshmen yeah. come with mistfall, which is fine. You know, like I like these kind of storylines where there's a thing that happens on this huge time scale, And we're, we're the story of course, is that we're right at that point, that inflection point yeah. where the thing happens, but it, it doesn't really make like, a, sorry, it just doesn't make sense that the, the, they haven't encountered the marshmen. Like what are the marshmen doing the other 30 years? I guess they're like hibernating. Uh, they're under hanging the, out underwater with yeah. the spiders, and that's that's here's the the missing link of Alzerian evolution is that we need to we needed a scene where the spiders are like uh, 
trooping off into the marsh. Right, decided and laying to go eggs underwater. <laughs> and how do they? I, how do they get in the fruit? Though that's the other thing. It's it's like the fruit itself is part of this process that begets the spiders because mm. it seems like pretty clear that they eat the fruit for the rest of the forty years. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I think they have to abruptly stop when mistfall happens. Clearly, uh, yeah. but then then what are they eating? Yeah, good question. You know, and don't they have to stay in the Starliner for like a decade? Isn't isn't that how long Mistfall takes? I so then, how so, do they get yeah. food? That's a very good question, uh, and I'm sure that there's a manual somewhere in that great library of manuals, which says that yeah. it, it tracks the ship down to the last rivet, um, uh, where there's there's like a list of all the the MREs that they've got on board, or the uh, like. There's there's a giant storehouse of. Well, uh, Maybe they meals and fish meals. I guess you could maybe they since they have clearly have power and they can create oxygen. They they have big refrigerators where they just <laughs> have been storing river fruit for like years and years and years. And presumably this river fruit doesn't have spider eggs in it because it it was harvested when it's not mistfall. That's the only thing I could figure out. <laughs> All right, so we need the other deleted scene of the health and safety team going into the <laughs> the walk in uh, fridge locker. <laughs> on, on the Starliner and just uh, just uh, checking out to see if there are spider eggs in this fruit. Uh, and everyone celebrates and uh, we cut to the fruit being cooked for the, the passengers. Yeah, the science and all this one, like, I mean, just, you know, you kind of have to go with it. One of the other things, but, uh, even, even if I'm going with the evolutionary science, though, mm-hmm. I have no freaking idea why Dexeter thinks it's a good idea to operate on a completely a- awake marsh creature yeah. And that's going to go well, you know, yeah, like this vivisection is happening here. Yeah. It's kind of like what, first of all, I don't get it. Like why, why does it not, why do you not want it anesthetized even if you're doing mm. this? Um, and it's clearly it what, what he's going to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well, well, clearly what he's going to do is probably going to kill it. Like, like why does it need to be alive? Like this is, this is a sadistic thing he's doing. And it's, and it's shocking that nobody's saying anything except the doctor. Like, like what do you do? You can't operate on someone when it's awake, like yeah. with no, with no anesthetic, like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's, it's a bit Nancy doctorish, uh, you know, gives us, gives us uh, shades of the mutants and the, uh, the, the scientific, uh, issues there. Um, maybe Dexter was also just obeying orders, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's never, it's, it's never really weird. made clear. Like, what is he going to get out of it? Like, what is this necessary for? Like, I wish they'd sort of just spent another liner. Like it doesn't have to be extensive, mm. but He's he's just like they've never been able to operate or dissect a marsh creature, which is kind of yeah. I guess what they're excited about. But again, it does it just brings in like why do you have to do it in this cruel way? Like, what's it going to give you? Yeah, our, sim- our sympathies are once again drawn drawn to the villains of the piece if you consider the Marshman that um, mm. as as they were with Omega and Ark of Infinity, who just wanted to live. Man, the Marshman just just want to hang out on the ship. And, uh, yeah, and it just, and, and the, the, the scene with the, the, the marsh child, um, mm. going towards the doctor and getting electrocuted, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's sort at the end of that famous, scene. Cause yeah. it, it breaks free. Like another dumb thing, like not only is it scientifically illiterate, it's also like, why, why have you paid zero attention to security? Yes. It's restrained, but come on, mm. you know, you're going to want to have a couple big burly guys in there just to make sure um, assuming you're even going to do this in the first place, and then it busts out, kills Dexeter, and then kills itself apparently by like smashing the monitor 
and then because it know, thinks that the doctor, his friend, is there. Uh, yeah. But, well, also that he's betrayed him. Like I think it's kind yeah. of like getting that it's like this guy's. I was trusting, and now I'm. I was about to get killed, and now I'm just mad. Um, but yeah, really, which what, is understandable. What better, thing, what better thing to do for Tom Baker's final season, and and indeed, Full Circle was being filmed when it was announced that he would leave the show, uh, than than ceremonially smashing in a TV screen with Tom Baker's face <laughs> on. <laughs> Every fan across Britain felt no. the same way. You've betrayed me. No. Then, if only oh, Peter shoot. Davison was all behind that wall. Hey, it's all right, Marsh Creature. It's going to be fine. <laughs> all, all Marsh Creatures, great and small, was what he was a star uh, all the time. Hey. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, okay. yeah, okay. So, Before, to go back to yeah. the other the other thing, the other strand, Romana and Lala Ward. Uh, first of all, I thought she gave a pretty great performance in this, you know, even though she has to struggle with being like with possessed. waving her hands in front of the yeah. TARDIS struggling into <laughs> swatting flies that aren't there. But like, she's, uh, I was especially drawn to like, she's, she's pretty sad about the idea of being recalled to Gallifrey, which is yeah. doesn't go much mentioned in the rest of the story. Uh, what, what did you think about that aspect of it? Uh, I, I don't see that as much more than sort of setting up State of Decay. Or sorry, mm. not State of Decay, Warrior's Gate, Warrior's where, Gate. where she leaves. And so, and it's also very believable. I mean, she's had a taste of this uh, lifestyle of the doctors mm. and now she can't get enough. And she's kind of being summoned back to Gallifrey, but she also knows that. Um, and it, I think this there's a neat little bit here about Time Lord Society and that now the dispensation the doctor has for having saved Gallifrey uh, probably, I don't know, half a dozen times at this point, at least certainly in the three doctors and an invasion of time, um, arguably in the deadly assassin. And because of he definitely in the deadly assassin, come to think of it, because the, mm. the eye of harmony was going to be unleashed. So at this point, the doctors, it's, it's pr- like, it's kind of a, the unsaid rule is that he's been given special disp- dispensation from the time Lords to kind of do whatever he wants uh, because he's earned it. But Romana hasn't, you know, in other words, she mm. she's being summoned back and, you know, they're basically someone's decided it's been, uh, you know, we got to <laughs> we got to close the book on this form and Romana hasn't signed it. Let's get her back. And even even the doctor is like, you know, you can't fight Time Lords, you know, yeah. and, and that he, he says that he lost, um, which nice, I think nice is a reference back. to the war games. Uh, I, would, I would assume so. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of the war games. Do you know the mm-hmm. other War Games connection we've got here? Uh, is there an ambulance somewhere? No. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize until I looked it up, but our old friend, the security chief, is in here. Oh my goodness, you're right. He's one of the he's deciders. One of the deciders. <laughs> and he's decided, he has decided to stop talking like a Dalek. Yes, that's right. Wow, he got a, he got a second <laughs> shot at a guest starring role in Doctor Who and made the most of it. He did not throw away his. Is it, it Nefred? Is that the one he is? Am I- uh, uh, Gareth. Gareth. No, Gareth yeah. is the the silver haired guy. Uh, okay. So yes, and then ne- Logan. Nefred? Yeah, I think it's Nefred. Draith. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, Decider Draith is the one who dies in episode one when he's dragged into the swamp. Yeah, so he's yes. Nefred. 
Knee for uh, James yeah, Breen. Wow. Yes. He, he rocks that puffy tunic like nobody else. I'll say that. Oh my God. Those, those tunics. I mean, the, you can see why the designers, uh, d- deciders, uh, you know, <laughs> have such respect in this world because the shoulder pads yeah. and these big gold tunics, they are really, well, really in the 80s here. It's funny. Especially with Patrick's costume. I think when it came time to design the Earthshock Cybermen, JNT basically said, oh, yeah, those decider tunics, just like that. <laughs> Do it like that. And and Adric is, is very au courant, as we discovered, because mm-hmm. Matthew Waterhouse, around this time, was on top of the Pops, uh, the, the British chart oh, show. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's, there's a brief interview of him. And he's wearing his Adric costume, and mm. he just like totally blends in to the crowd. Like, everyone's wearing those sort of, you know, cool... New romantic pastel colors, you know, nice uh, and tunics and boots and things like that's was all the rage. Well, that's funny because like I always felt like they back read the ad. Basically, they designed the the Alzurians costumes based on whatever costume they wanted to give <laughs> Adric, and <laughs> so sense. like those are just clothes on Alzurius. But mm-hmm. you know, it's like more of a co- like this is again everything. Everyone's got to be in a costume because it's eighties Doctor Who. So. <laughs> Anyway, yep. Everyone except unless you're a Marshman, then you you get to be costume free, free and easy. So before we start asking some questions about this episode, I have to ask you a question about how did you like the Patty Kingsland soundtrack? All the incidental music. Ooh, I thank you for for asking. I'd almost forgotten because yes, I do love me a bit of Patty Kingsland. Uh, mm. If you remember all the way back to the Legopolis episode, I, I heaped special praise. On music day, I think we both did. Like it's, oh yeah, it's so funereal and and magisterial, and just a perfect end for the Baker era. Uh, and this has a similar vibe, right? It's a bit more of a first draft. It's <laughs> a bit annoying at times, but it's still sort of recognizably Patty Kingsland. Yeah, right? well, it's it definitely sort of yeah. kind of church organ sadness to it. Well, I like I like the weirdness of it to emphasize this is another universe and they're Mm. sort of somewhere strange. I wish the story had been a little more of that pattern, right? It's a, it's a, it's kind of like, as I said, more of a conventional doctor who format that could have easily happened in the normal universe. Um, but the fact to the extent that it does establish that our characters are sort of fish out of water somehow, um, it kind of does that. It definitely is annoying at times. Um, but I will say the rockin' bit where canine is motoring across the mud after the marshman, and yes. it's just like this, you know, like it's very like, wow, this is, this is yeah, action canine, but like it's evocative of like whatever Starsky and Hutch and whatever all these other action shows of the seventies or the Dukes of Hazard. Like it's like just a, like it was just like all right, yeah, canine's on it. <laughs> And I well, think I think this partially inspired the theme to Canine and Company, which oh was, is coming up when I think about it, half a year, a year from here at this point. Well, Pete, Pete, how how could we have got this far in the podcast and and be almost at the verge of the four questions and not mentioned the dog decapitation? Oh yeah, of, full, of uh, full circle. My goodness, yeah, I didn't remember that. It's a big it kind deal. of reminds me of, of uh, journalism school where my, my uh, professor did a deadline drill, the whole point of which was that you had to pull out this 
one small detail from a, a city press conference, and the detail was that the, a big pile of dead dogs had been discovered. That should have been your lead. Well, my friend, this we failed as journalists because this should have been our lead to the show. Decapitated right. dog. R.I.P. Canine. Except, of course, he's completely okay in the last scene because all they have to do is attach the the head yeah. to the body yeah. again, and he's fine. Yeah, thanks, Romana, for completely destroying the suspense on that one. Mm. Like, immediately after his head goes off, she's like, oh, we have to fix him all the time. Oh, he just gets like that. Yeah, it's undercut pretty quickly. It's It kind of works in the story because you kind of think he's there and I'm just going to make sure everyone's okay. And then the Marshman just totally wrecks it. And it's like, oh, well, I guess K-9's not going to make sure everyone's okay. Um, so, like, in terms of increasing the peril, uh, it kind of works. But, yeah, it's it it doesn't. It, the fact that we're coming to it sort of here, right, almost right at the end of our commentary is like, oh, it was not <laughs> as impactful as a scene like that could have and should have been. And I think partly because of the writing here, but also partly because of K-9. Like, honestly, we've talked about this before about mm. how as a robot, uh, actually, it's kind of interestingly realistic that they just kind of keep rebuilding them. But it also mm. makes stuff that happens with K-9 and like it just robs it of any stakes. Like, it's like, oh, OK, you can just replace him put the memories back in, put the head back in and everything's fine. Um, mm. Yeah. Bit of a bit of a fundamental problem with K9 that it's, uh, it's unfortunately pointing an arrow at. And then the doctor is waving the head around to, to keep the Marshman at bay. Well, that was kind of cool. That was yeah. memorable. I actually really liked that. It's such a Tom Baker <laughs> thing to do too. Cause I can't really imagine like Peter Davison or, or Pertwee, maybe Troughton. Uh, <laughs> doing that it's just sort of this goofy tom baker thing to do and it's like yeah of course that's what he's using the head of his own dog to keep Mm. your enemies at bay dark doctor dark (laughs) uh wow yeah tom baker's getting darker funereal ahead of time here maybe that's you know the symbol of uh of his forthcoming doom yeah canine loses his head yeah, it definitely makes you question his mental state. But we have some other questions to ask. And those are, of course, the four questions to Doomsday. First question. Why did the randomizer take us here? The question is, why didn't the randomizer take us here? My goodness. Right. Gallifrey to Gallifrey. TARDIS story to TARDIS story. Uh, JNT slightly... Very messed up to JNT, slightly messed up. Mm. Um, yeah, wow. And well, oh, so, so many other things. The recall. We were talking about the recall last week, right? And and uh, Romana gets recalled, but not the TARDIS. So they could well, recall if they really wanted Romana. Yeah, they couldn't because they can't recall from E space. I don't know. Well, they definitely can't recall from E space. I think yeah. that's for sure. But the um, <laughs> to go back to my question about the recall device like why is it such a freaking big deal that mm. just hit this button to bring back tardises like why didn't they just do that um i guess you could make the case like well time lords might be in the middle of some delicate thing um so why well, not there just are two time lord deciders <laughs> trying to decide whether to press the recall button and they just sit there for centuries arguing it out <laughs> that's gotta be it uh but speaking of gallery my, my whole through line here as uh, the, uh, I just kind of had to pick one is the Leela references. So mm. here and in Ark of Infinity, they both reference Leela and remind everyone mm. that she's on Gallifrey because the doctor in this episode and in, in full circle is like, well, it'd be nice to um, 
see Leela again and you'll, you'll meet your twin canine. So reminding that canine Mark one is on Gallifrey. Yes. It's like, Oh, okay. Fun At times. which point uh, he dropped into another universe because Doctor Who budget rules would not allow for two canines on the screen at once. Um, uh, and that's, that's why they had to go into eSpace. <laughs> but does, <laughs> does he, does he mention Android? Does he mention Leela's betrothed at, at, uh, at that point or uh, only when remember fifth doctor incarnation? He does. He? Yeah. No, he, he mentions he, I think this is the only time he's mentioned because mm. He only in Ark of Infinity he just says he regret regrets missing her wedding. He doesn't mention Andred, but here he's actually name checked. He's like, I look forward to seeing how Leela and Andred are are getting on, because uh, mm-hmm. we were all wondering how they would be getting on, oh, considering there was like no romance whatsoever uh, that was really put in, in Invasion of Time. There were literally um, three letters the BBC written since 1977 asking what had happened to Leela and Adred. The fans were <laughs> demanding it. There were dozens of us, dozens. Yeah, Adred. I don't know, man. That guy, uh, I feel like he had a bit of an early retirement and probably hosts his own podcast now on, on Gallifrey. <laughs> do, the, do they have Adred in the, in the Gallifrey series? That's a good question. I don't know. The They're definitely... Solo. I, I remember in the Zagreus storyline, they bring Louise, like Louise Jameson's done, I think, plenty of big finish. And uh, uh, has Andred, though, probably, because mm. why wouldn't you? Assuming, but certainly, Louise, I don't know Louise Jameson and, and yeah. Lala Ward were both in Gallifrey, right? So they've, they've had lots of scenes together. Yes. Is this the only televised Doctor Who that like mentions both of them? Probably this in Ark of Infinity, because they talk about Romana, too. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yes. It's the only one where Romana is talked to about Leela. Yep. This is like Romana chose to stay in e-space. This is where it starts. Gets her taste. Except she comes back at some point. We've really got to get around to listening to that Big Finish Gallifrey series, folks. Hmm. Uh, I know those of you who love it are probably screaming at the uh, podcast device right now. But anyway, lots of connections. Very, very strange, isn't it? Yeah, well, this is, again, the JNT uh, era began a whole new kind of self-referential era, right? <laughs> like, that that's he was, he's known for a lot of things, obviously, and one of them is that even though he maybe didn't like season-long ar- long arcs so much, he definitely liked the show to reference itself, and yeah. that definitely increases as time goes on. Uh, probably levels out somewhere in the Colin Baker era, and then uh, in, in some McCoy, <laughs> there's probably a little less of it. Yeah, thank goodness uh, that that was dialed down. But yeah, JNT always seemed to think that that was the way to get more fans is just throw in a fan reference and, uh, you know, a little too much like modern showrunners at yeah, their worst. Kind of worked for me, so I'll, I'll <laughs> give him that. Um, but moving on to the second question, which is, what if the evil plot had succeeded? Okay, so what's the evil plot? <laughs> well, there's no real evil to speak of here, I don't yeah. think. Like it's nobody's creatures bad. trying to live, man. Yeah, they're trying to live, trying to evolve. Don't hold them back. I guess if you're reading into like the evil plot is the Marshmen just simply being savages and hostile, and mm-hmm. there being sort of evil results from that, even though they're not evilly motivated. Like, um, you well, can't they decide us. So I guess they're evil. Yeah, among others. Um, so that you have to conclude, okay, if they're for that for them to succeed in terms of like routing the Alzerians. They they don't discover that oxygen can repel them. 
Uh, so mm. because of that, the Marshmen get the upper hand uh, and eventually force them out of the Starliner and, and kill them all, basically, because they're going to like eventually hunt them down and Mistball lasts long enough that um, they'd either get bitten by the spiders or um, killed by Marshmen. So what happens to the doctor? Um, presumably he dies too, or becomes a Marshman like Romana. Um, mm, could be, I, I guess. Uh, and then maybe the, the whole doctor stays with the outlaws and like becomes the, the, the cool tribal leader of the, the new outlaw tribe. Yeah. I just feel like if the doctor is okay and still a time Lord, I think that there's there's no way that the quote unquote evil plot can succeed. But the doctor will find a way to save as many people as possible, even if it's just hauling them into the TARDIS and taking them somewhere else. Um, so I think if in the event the doctor's sort of subdued or killed, like basically the whole process starts again, and it's another four thousand generations before there's another group of humanoids here, mm. and they presumably steal seal themselves in the Starliner and start mythologizing Mistfall. It's and, it's, it's rather hinted that the part of the evolution involves reading. <laughs> Basically, the Marshmen yeah. go go into the uh, Great Library and they're like, "Hmm, what 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 am books?" And they <laughs> they open one. And it happens to be a primer on the Alzerian language. They're like, "Hmm, A for apple fruit." Um, well, you, and, you gotta wonder though. Like what? What is this process absent the Starliner, right? Mm. Because clearly there's sort of a fast evolution on this planet, and what yeah. what happens though, like, is that the Starliner provides a way for them to wall themselves off from it. Yes. And if there is no Starliner, think about what happens, right? Because eventually everyone's going to get bitten by spiders, and everyone's going to become quasi Marshmen, like basically symbiotically linked with them, and somehow even if you're a higher evolutionary form. So maybe it's the Starliner that has screwed everything up on this planet. Mm. Well, and that's so, suggested by the Romana saying that the Starliner needs to go because it's messing with the evolution. Yeah. And so like, cause normally like everyone's going to be like Romana with the weird stuff on her face. Right. Mm. You know, that's, that's what you'd have. So that you would, you would still have people evolving, but it would be a much more like partnership with the spiders mm. and the Marshmen. <clears throat> you would think. You know, it doesn't sound like a bad end for Doctor Who. Like, first of all, the Doctor is killed, but regenerates into Peter Davison, which who the Outlaws like more because he's cool and young, like them. Hmm. And uh, and he just like hangs out, and they've all got these cool and groovy markings on their face that glow, and they just you know chill on uh, Alzirus. Yeah. Forget about the Tardis. Chow down on Riverfruit. Yeah. End. End of story. Yeah. Not too bad. <laughs> I do I do like the what if the evil plot succeeds where we get to a, kind of a nice end for Doctor Who. Yeah. I guess. Totally. He's just retired in eSpace. It's all good. No recall yeah. device necessary. It's just Peter Davison chilling with the kids. Yeah. Good times. Well, uh, that still doesn't prevent us from moving on to the third question, which of course is, where is the Clara Splinter? <laughs> Clara Oswald, of course, splintered in time at the end of The Name of the Doctor. She is somewhere in every single Doctor Who story doing something. What is she doing in full circle? Oh, God. There, there are so many places that she could be. Um, but I like to yeah. think... I like to think that Clara is on the Starliner. 
Okay. Uh, she's she's one of the uh, one of the human creatures there, and and she's the ultimate procrastinator. Huh. She okay. just gives off like waves of procrastination, like you know, uh, constantly coming in with like delayed reports and oh, we have to fix this thing and oh, remember that thing we had to fix last month and still behind on the report of that. I'll get that to you by uh, next week. Next week, definitely next week. Uh, maybe the week. No, I'm on vacation next week. It's the week after, and she she just like is this master procrastinator. And the, the deciders are always giving her good performance reviews, so she thinks <laughs> yeah. she's doing great. <laughs> exactly. They can't bring themselves because she's such a sweet girl. She's a sweet girl. Yeah, can't bring herself to to you know. You're really setting a new standard here, exactly. Clara. For <laughs> <laughs> procrastination. Yes. Oh, yeah. The, there's the nod and the wink from the chief decider who knows that they do have to keep procrastinating because nobody can fly this thing. Well, that's uh, not bad. I thought hmm. – um, here's what I thought. So we're going to have to go way back for <laughs> my version of the Clara Splinter. <laughs> I actually think – she's not really in the story, but she was on Pterodon – eons ago Uh, so basically she's of the race of people who built the starliner and basically she's the one who built the image translator technology which of course is conveniently time lord compatible (laughs) (laughs) so it's like tardis compatible image translators so that's how you can take an image translator from a microscope on the starliner and it just slips right into the tardis and all good just totally works I mean, the TARDIS has every, like, you know, USB adapter known to man uh, and uh, several known to Marshman. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I love that idea of the TARDIS. That it's just, you know, backwards and forwards compatible. Yeah, whatever. With what, whatever you like, whether it's a record player or some image <laughs> translator from a pocket universe. That's right. And with K-9 himself, who, is, who, is, uh, who does the coordinates in the, in the fateful jump into e-space, by you know, mm. basically sticking his uh, his snouty shooty thing, uh, into the, <laughs> the, sh- the shooty dog thing. <laughs> you know the shooty dog thing. Uh... <laughs> Not to be confused with shooty Godwood thing. Not to, I was I was working on a shooty Godwood joke. Thank you for getting there first. Uh, yeah, you know what I got to so, say. I I do love the line at the beginning, just to sort of set things up, because there's really good Patty Kingsland music as they're going into mm. e-space and. Mm-hmm. Canine's line is about to encounter no vocabulary available. Available. He basically says, "This is so weird. I don't even have a word for it." Which is like, yes, that's cool. Yes, that that could be our new phrase here on Pull to Open when we're we're sort of floundering and we're forgetting we're forgetting what we wanted to say about a certain character. No vocabulary mm. available. All, All right. right, the final question is upon us. The only question that matters for full circle. What did we think of this story? Pull to open rating system has six ratings. There's the Dalek, which we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which we give to a not-so-good episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, which is a not-so-good episode, but hey, at least they tried something. The Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. The Fixed Point in Time, which is a episode beyond rating often for reasons of nostalgia, but sometimes for other reasons. And the Lady Cassandra, which is Doctor Who as wallpaper. Looks good, but mm, probably not good. Tissue thin. Tissue thin story. Uh, Well, it's it's time, Decider Pete, or or should we debate this a little bit more? (laughs) 
I'm thinking maybe let's let's talk about it for ten more years. So I'm, I'm going to be back. the role of of Logan here and just hit that button because I'm convinced that's what happens in that final scene for the Starliner to take off. He tells the other guy, uh, Gareth, to like, yeah, let's let's go to the other room and talk this out. And then he spins around and just hammers the button. <laughs> so that's a, yeah, because Logan's the only one who's like an actual decider. Um, so I'll just decide yeah. right now. This is a Professor Hater, and uh, I know I just gave it Professor Hater. Um, but Whoa. it's two in a row for me and you know, he strikes again. This is a little predictable. It's a little boring. Didn't love the Marchman, uh, but there is a decent story here sort of trying to get out of it all. So, um, yeah, yeah. Could have been better. Uh, should have yeah. been better, but Hey, it's all right. I mean, well, it's not I'm all right. Not sure. it's, it's not that great. <laughs> I can't, I, in other words, I can't really recommend go watch full circle and you'll walk away with a good time. It's, it's, it's got some flaws. It's not very memorable. Well, you know what I can recommend, Pete, and I know that this this is this is very alien technology to you, but I do recommend that you put full circle on in the background at a party when uh, mm. <laughs> having people over. In fact, Tat Wood, uh, in in his book, actually suggests that this is a great story if you turn down the dialogue. So I feel like I have academic backing here for a lady, Cassandra. It's very pretty, but the story has issues. Yeah, I was almost did it. Honestly, I was thinking about the Lady Cassandra. I just couldn't bring myself to do it because <laughs> I'm not not as much of a fan of the Marshman as you are. Uh, I just yeah, and neither Marshman was my daughter. Really. My daughter really like keyed in on that, and I was I was a little like like yeah, you're right. She she was like she, the Marshmen were she, just kind of not she good. Wasn't I, afraid of them. No, um, I'll say this: she really likes Adric. She liked the story because yeah. she likes Adric, and I think. Black Orchid, which was the one we most recently did with him, um, really won her over in terms of Adric's character. Mm. She really liked him in that. So she she liked it for reasons of Adric. I, as we sort of talked about with the artful dodger versus gifted and talented student dichotomy, I think he's he's more on paper character than realized character. I will say, I think Matthew Waterhouse did did fine in his his first outing uh again nothing nothing to write home about but uh, it's not enough to make him particularly interesting and certainly not enough to save the episode into something that mm. i could recommend yep yep well uh maybe if you have seen full circle you enjoyed it you can circle back and watch it with the sound down uh, because it just does join our select list of lady cassandra's our recommendations for party wallpaper for Doctor Who parties, or even if you just want to introduce uh, casual fans to the old series, we might have something more to say about that soon. Um, that's that's what it is, at least as far as I'm concerned. It's okay. it's a hater Cassandra hybrid for for the official pull to open rating, uh, and I feel I feel comfortable with that. <sighs> that's wow. I'm just yeah. thinking of like Professor Hater and Lady Cassandra getting together, and that that's. Well, the question is, who, who evolves into whom? Uh, oh. you gotta, you got to figure, yeah, Cassandra's like the, the future version of Professor Hater after he gets really obsessed with moisturizing. Well, let's pop forward in time <laughs> and see what happens there. But before, before we do that, we're going to have to enter our own time ship and activate the randomizer. That's right. Uh, let's hope we're not stuck in e-space because that would only give us one story to go but the randomizer mm. 
It has two components. Pete has one. Pete has the Codex, which is the list of all Doctor Who stories in sequential order, according to our system. Uh, and there are a total of 301, 302. Uh, but Pete, what are, what are we now down to? How many have we not seen? We're down to 209 now that I've ticked off full circle from our list. Put a circle next to full circle. Um, all right. So we use random.org to decide a number between 1 and 209. Random.org is used because it has bespoke randomness. That's right. It can detect uh, proto marshmen in your atmosphere. It can detect mistfall. Mm. It can detect e-space. It has negative... No, it doesn't actually have negative numbers. Uh, but everything else <laughs> it can do instead of the uh, algorithmic randomness that the computers come up with, which is not actual true randomness. And by the way, having listened back through Pull to Open History, I realized that our first three choices, Pete, were not done via random.org. They were done via the Google random number generator. What? They were? Yes. That's Damn. right. I know. Okay. We were, <laughs> we were. It was simpler times, simpler yeah. times back then, before we cared about a randomness. So yeah, there's we, always we wanted high asterisk. quality randomness. So this is kind of like that's our new who randomness is the random dot org. Exactly. Old who is exactly. Google. All right. Well, we like to give so, the randomizer challenges, even mm-hmm. though it is notorious for ignoring us or at least delaying its satisfaction of those challenges. Um, do you have a challenge for the randomizer this week? I do. I'm actually going to renew my challenge. Okay. Uh, to the randomizer, which uh, what what I said last week was, you know, uh, that wasn't uh, full circle wasn't a very good vacation in Amsterdam. Uh, full, full, sorry, Ark of Infinity wasn't a good vacation in Amsterdam. Full circle was not a great vacation in Alzuris. Terrible, <laughs> terrible time. Romana's going to rate that pretty low. Got bitten. Um, terrible wait service. Anyway, take us to a good vacation episode, please. Again, I renew the request, randomizer. It's August. <laughs> When we're recording this, like it's still feels summary. I want I want specifically a new Who vacation. I want to see the Doctor going somewhere because he just wants to see it because it's an actual sightseeing trip. Whether or not it goes bad, you know, let's have one of those starts. Wow, two challenges in a row that are identical <laughs> virtually. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, you're just going to keep it going until we got a vacation, I think. That's right. I'm going to keep begging the randomizer for a vacation. So coming from this, the kickoff of the eSpace trilogy, I'm going to challenge the randomizer to bring us again to something that is more along the lines of a season arc. It doesn't have to be a formal arc, but something that is part of an ongoing story. Um, so certainly there's a lot of that in New Who, but... Even in old who, like things like you know the background, Ace's background, and things that just sort of were setting up something or paying off something that was across multiple stories. Give me, hmm. give me, give me something there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's quite a nuanced request. The random. It is because I don't want to. I don't want to skew it too much to new who because obviously new yeah. who is tons of season long arcs. But it is like well, there were arcs that we just done differently. And done a little more simplistically in the classic era. And arguably, this is a formal arc, the trilogy, but like what I was just describing earlier with Legopolis, that was probably, like, I would accept that, right? If, if right. we hadn't already done it. <laughs> yeah. You would say, accept something that mentions a CVE. Oh, exactly. Embointment is not a word, uh, not in English, anyway. 
Uh, all right, let's all right. find out where we're going next. If you give me a countdown, Pete, I'll hit the generate button. All right, let's do it in four, three, two, one. Are you sitting comfortably? Twelve. Twelve? No way. Twelve. No way. Oh, yes. We're at the time meddler. <gasps> wow. Wow. Back to Gallifrey. Not really. Uh, <laughs> kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. Kind of retconned. It definitely answered me this time. Because <laughs> uh, I think there are definite connections here that begin okay. and uh, do other things. Yes. Very connected <laughs> episode to the mythology. Wow. I, yeah. I have Hitch. not seen it at all. Uh, but it is it is a Hartnell joint. Um, and is it is it any of it lost? No, Time Meddler's been uh, I don't know if it's ever lost. Uh, maybe briefly in the seventies, but it's it's yeah. been around forever. So Time Meddler's oh, complete. Yep, we got this. I'm so excited to meddle in time. Yeah, it's fun. I like going back to Hartnell. This'll be our seventh, eighth, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, we've done a good chunk of him now, so this will be great. We're going to be oh meddling goodness. in time. And it is set in Northumbria, uh, mm-hmm. which is the part of the world I will be going to for my vacation at the end, end of August. Wow. Yeah. We might even be recording our commentary <laughs> right. in the Time Meddler from Northumbria. we got to figure that out. Let's set that, that up. Yes, yes. Well, we do know our fine friends at the Cloyster Bell podcast are there. Maybe we'll run yeah. into them at some point soon. Let's give them a call. But, uh, yeah. Until then, listeners. Of course. <laughs> this has been Pull to Open. It's a podcast. Hey, what do you do with podcasts? Well, you subscribe to them or follow them. Whatever the thing is, whatever the button is called, and whatever app you're listening to, go ahead and hit it. That way you can stay tuned to whenever we have new content, especially if you are on YouTube. And in that case, you might want to just hit that bell button as well. And you can all get a notification whenever we have something new. Uh, follow us on all the socials. We're at Pull to Open 63 on Twitter, Threads, Facebook, Missing One, Instagram, and Pull to Open on TikTok. We will be circling back around with you to talk about the time meddler and maybe some other things in coming weeks. Uh, but we will see you one way or the other. Uh, until then, keep meddling. Take care, folks. <laughs>